Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is that unseen third part of the Trinity that comes, and this is what's really strange to me, friends. God has chosen to live, reside in us. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through a series on the Holy Spirit. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, today we ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you teach us? And would you instill in us, as we read these words, a life-changing message that will never be the same once we hear your word taught? And so we ask you, God, come and speak to us, change us, conform us into your image, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 1, we find the continuation on, and I I really believe it's important because here we find Jesus raises from the dead, now what? And I'm glad you asked that question. Well, we find, as we look at Acts chapter 1. The former account I made. Now this is Luke writing this. He says, O Theophilus. The word Theophilus means God lover. Theo, speaking of God, Ophilus of love. So he was a God lover. I pray you're all Theophiluses here today. That we all have a love for God. Now why is that important? To have God's purpose in our life over than what we want to do in our lives. Here's the big difference. What we want to do brings no eternal reward. What God wants us to do carries an eternal reward and spiritual satisfaction today. Big difference. Because what we do oftentimes will leave us empty. We did that, got there, I got the shirt, I'm bored, what's next? Oh, okay, I got that, I did that, now now what's next? There's always the quest for satisfaction. And so that's why I believe that we want to be Theophiluses, if you will. And it says, and all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, I would invite you to do that. Underline the word began. The word began. Jesus didn't finish it in that he entrusted us to evangelize the world. Jesus finished the payment for sin and death on the cross when he said it is finished. But ministry has been left up to you and me, to the disciples. And so notice it says that Jesus began both to do and to teach. We are continuations of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. So now he says, until the day which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit, which had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen 
to whom he'd give, he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days, speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus didn't just appear to the disciples. And as a matter of fact, if you like to write other things in your Bible, you might want to write this down. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. And I'm going to read those to you so you know what they are. You say, well, why are those important? Those 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't in some obscure mountain pass someplace. No one knew. Just a few of the disciples saw him. And we have to take the word of the disciples. No. And let me read this to you out of 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 5. It says, He was seen by Caiaphas, then by the twelve. Now this is where we need to do some understanding here. Because we remember at this particular point, there was only eleven. Why was that? Judas hung himself, remember? Now, both Peter and Judas, both, in a way, denied the Lord. Peter cussed and swore that he never knew who Jesus was after denying him two other times there in, in the courtyard when Jesus glanced over at him in the cock crew and he was cut to the heart and he went out and wept. Judas Iscariot earlier betrayed Jesus' whereabouts for 30 pieces of silver. And so here we find now that mentions the 12. The 12 is called basically the gang of his apostles, even though at this particular point there was only 11. And notice it singles out Caiaphas. Who's Caiaphas? That's uh, Peter's original name. It's funny that Jesus speaks to Caiaphas or Peter privately, and then he speaks to the rest of the disciples, probably in that upper room where Thomas was missing, if you remember. Thomas wasn't there. This is why later on when Jesus appeared, he said, here, put your fingers in the holes of my hand. Thrust your hand into my side. So Jesus made himself available to the, uh, to the apostles in a very special way, but he spoke to Peter especially. Why is that? I think Peter felt pretty cut to the heart. I don't know if you've ever done anything in your Christian experience where you know you did wrong and you knew the Lord was ashamed of you, and I'm sure this is exactly how Peter felt, and I'm certainly sure this is why it's recorded for us in the Scripture. In fact, if you were writing a book on your own and you wanted everything to look rosy and perfect and everything, you would probably leave out the account of Peter in him denying the Lord. But if it wasn't for him denying the Lord, we would never see the restoration of Peter by Jesus Christ along the Sea of Galilee as he was cooking him fish, looking at Peter three times, saying, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus was recommissioning, if you will, Peter's purpose. And he says here that he especially appeared to him privately. Why? Sometimes we need that private time alone with Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Peter and then the 12. Verse 6, And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this day, 
but some have fallen asleep. Now, what it means by uh, that still remain at the time of the writing of this. In fact, that's really important because uh, you'll find oftentimes in the Old Testament, it, it will say something like, and it's there to this day, to the day of the writing of this book. Now, of course, it's been lost over maybe history, but when it says to this day, it meant it was a landmark for a long time. And so Jesus appeared to the 500 and he said, many are still around today so you can verify the story. That was the idea behind that. And then he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. So Jesus made many appearances to the apostles as well. And then he was also seen of me also as one born out of due time. Paul, the apostle speaking, saying, I know he's alive too. He talked to me. I saw him. Let's go back to the book of Acts. It's important that we know why Jesus, uh, or maybe I should say it's important to know how we can defend that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, a couple of things really important. And there's been a lot of talk on this particular topic of of the resurrection. I, I mentioned it last week a little bit. Some of the different theories of Jesus's resurrection. One, it was called the swoon theory. After being crucified, a spear chucked in his side. After he was beating, being brutally beaten with a coat of nine tails by the Romans until you're an inch from your life. Again, people say, well, Jesus was beaten 39 times because there's 39 different diseases. That's all made up, friends. Jesus was not beaten by the Jews. He was beaten by the Romans. The Jews had a law, 40 lashes minus one for mercy. But Jesus wasn't beaten by the Roman, or excuse me, the Jews. He was beaten by the Romans and they didn't have the 40 rule. They just kept beaten and beaten and beaten until they got a confession because Jesus didn't have anything to confess. They just kept beaten and beaten and beaten. This is why I believe nobody really recognized Jesus after he was rose from the dead. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, in uh, John 20, as we read last week, no one dared ask if it was Jesus. They knew it was Jesus, but it didn't look like Jesus. Why is that? Well, we remember Thomas was allowed to put his fingers in the holes in his hands and thrust his hand into his side. Now, whether he did that, I don't know. But the Bible says Jesus offered to do that because that was the proof that Thomas said that he needed to believe. But the point is, those scars were still there after Jesus rose from the dead. Why is that important? Because the Bible says he was also blindfolded. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He was beaten. He was whipped with the... By the way, when the Romans were beating somebody with this uh, scourge with little pieces of broken bone and glass on the end, they didn't care whether the... the, the whip went across your back or across the back of your legs or across your face. And when they'd rip it back, it just ripped chunks of skin out. So I believe this is why Jesus was fairly unrecognizable physically speaking. We remember Jesus appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And uh, he walks up behind them and is, they're walking along. He says, why are you guys so sad? And the two disciples say, are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard what has happened the last couple of days? And Jesus goes, what things? And though they began to tell him, and then Jesus began to reason from them, from the Old Testament, all the verses that pertain to uh, the crucifixion and these things. And Jesus, it was getting late, the Bible says, he was getting ready to turn in 
They were going to turn in. And Jesus acted like he was going to go on. And they said, no, come and, and have dinner with us. And so they sat down. And the Bible says when Jesus broke the bread, probably at that point, they saw the holes in his hands. Their eyes were opened. And Jesus vanished out of their sight. I, I, I really think that's neat. But why was Jesus hard to recognize? I believe because of the swelling, the disfiguration. And I believe someday, friends, we will see that when we're in heaven. We're probably not going to see the Irish Jesus that's in a lot of the pictures in the bookstores. I, I think we're going to see something we don't. We're going, what is that? The Bible says in Revelation 5 that there is a, uh, the lamb steps out like a lamb that had been slain. This lamb, Jesus, what he looks like, I don't know if he's going to have those scars throughout all of history. Or maybe at the millennial reign of Christ, he'll, he'll, have, he'll, he'll actually go back and uh, attain his original body before he was uh, brutally beaten. But I know this, I do believe that in heaven we will see what Jesus paid so that we could all go to heaven to be with him. Well, we find that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to 500 at one time, to many other people as well. And so it says, and being assembled together, verse 4, back in Acts 1, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. There's a promise that Jesus said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. Now, friends, first of all, all these people we're reading about right here were believers in Jesus Christ. So it isn't just that in order to believe in Jesus Christ, we need the Holy Spirit, which I do believe. I believe the first work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is to convict us of our sins, drive us to our knees, cause us to realize the need that we have for Christ. The second work of the Holy Spirit, though, is the empowerment. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, is it possible to receive the power of the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ the first time? Yes, we have illustrations of that where Peter was preaching to the Gentiles. And right in the middle of his sermon, I can just see them all nodding, saying, yes, yeah, that's... And the Holy Spirit fell on them. They began to speak with other tongues. There was an empowerment there. And Peter was astounded. In fact, he goes back to Jerusalem and, and he begins to say, and, and you know, it's, it's, you're halfway through the book of Acts before the Jews even realized Gentiles could be saved. These low-life, scummy Gentiles could actually be saved. There's no prejudice in Christ, and so Jesus saved them. But notice, he says, John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This word, uh, baptized means totally immersed. Um, Luke uses uh, another word. Uh, he says, in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, we live, move, exist, and have our being. Like a fish in water. We're totally immersed in him. Now, do we live like that all the time? I suppose there's no one listening in the sound of my voice that live 100% for Jesus all the time. We don't. We want to, but we don't. Well, what is it? Well, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we're born again. But then God begins his process and his refinement in our life. Now, again, I've had people come up to me and say, well, Mike, I accepted the Lord, 
And, and, and I still got problems in my life. And I go, well, how long have you been a Christian? And he goes, three months. And I said, so you've been messing your life up for 40 years, and you're giving God three months to straighten you all out. How nice of that. Give God a little bit more time. He will. But here's something to always remember. This side of heaven, we're always going to have issues. Why does God allow issues to come to a person that loves him? Because I have found without issues in my life, I can forget God. I can be so busy serving God, I can forget God. That's a problem. We're so, and we become detached in our spiritual relationship with God. And I believe this is one of the great problems in a, in a hyper sense that happened with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so busy, so to speak, serving God, they were plotting Jesus' death. That's a dangerous place to be. So I don't want to take my Christianity of yesterday and believe that, well, that's, I can just live off those things that happened to me yesterday when I really need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit each and every day. Yes, I'm born again. You're born again if you've asked Christ into your life. And you have maybe asked Christ to fill you with his Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said. He said, you being of the world, or evil, actually, he said, know how to give your children good gifts. How much more does your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that will ask? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is that unseen third part of the Trinity that comes, and this is what's really strange to me, friends. God has chosen to live, reside in us. Now, the Bible says God does not live in buildings made with with man's hands. Nice building, but God doesn't live in this building. God lives in you. What makes this building a holy building is because holy people are in it. Otherwise, it's plaster and two-by-fours and stucco and all those kinds of things. You're the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're what God has chosen to live in. And this was the mistake unfortunately, of many of the people in religion as they believe their gods live in their buildings. Some of the Jews believe that as well. Oh, the temple they would refer to all the time and sometimes talking to Jesus. Middle Eastern religions all also have these ornate temples. The reason they have their ornate temples, they believe their gods live in those buildings. We remember that David, King David, wanted to build a house for God. Nathan comes by and gives, God, gives David the message from God saying, God told me to tell you this. What building will you build for me? Heaven is my, heaven is my throne. Earth is my ottoman, what I rest my feet on, my footstool. What are you going to build for me? God has not chosen to live in buildings. Now, this is one of the reasons why we have problems, because people, oftentimes religion is religion of sight. If, I'm, if I can see something, I can equate God to that. That's why the Bible talks about in the Ten Commandments, not to make any graven image concerning God to him, because we're limiting the immenseness of God into a carved image of somebody's thinking or understanding. Well, this is what God looks like. There's God. Oh, that's cool. No, that's not the way God works. God has chosen to live in you. How do we see God? We see God because he reveals himself in us through his word. 
And so he says, I'm going to send to you the third part of the Godhead, and it's going to, he's going to reside inside of you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the power of the Holy Spirit inside us want to do? I think that's good. Well, we're filled with the Spirit, so what do we do with all that power? Well, it's like, you know, I use the illustration of a, a weightlifter. And you see these guys on TV, and they, they, all they do is lift weights all the time, and they've got these big old muscles, look like watermelons under their, their sleeves, and you've got to really use your, your imagination concerning me. But they have big watermelons under their sleeves. They do a jumping jack, and it pops their head. No, I mean, these guys are muscular. And I remember one time I, I saw this thing where the, this guy walks up, and commentator, and he looks at this guy, and he goes, what do you do? All that power. The guy's, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the guy goes, well, this. No, no, the commentator goes, no, but what do you do with all that muscle and all that energy and all that power? And all the guy could do was this. It was all for show. It was no go. That's sometimes, I think, the way maybe even Christians are in the Holy Spirit. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us. If we've asked the Holy Spirit to come, by faith we receive the Holy Spirit. And by the way, friends, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not because we've been good little boys and girls. The gift of the Holy Spirit is because we ask for it. It is a gift, just like salvation. What did any of us do to receive salvation? We asked for it. We didn't, well, you know, I went out and waxed a lot of dogs, helped some blind cats across the street. Oh, man, I'm doing good. God goes, yeah, you are. I think I'll give you, I think I'll save you. No, God just says, I'm going to save you because you asked me to. That's a gift. Otherwise, it would not be a gift. It would be wages. Look at all I did, God. God says, okay, uh, that looks like a paycheck to me. Okay, how about some everlasting life? All right, I'll take it. So what does God do? God then, in his love, gives us eternal life. God then, in his love, because we ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to empower us, not to just do a show, but actually do the go. We walk in the Spirit. That empowers us. Now, this is why this is important, because this is why I believe John, in the epistles of John, chapter 1, 1 John 1, he says, my little children, if we sin... We have an advocate, you have a lawyer with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because God knows we're going to blow it. I've talked to a lot of people over the course of being a pastor and a Christian for many, many years. i talked to a lot of people, well, I'd like to be a Christian, but I'm afraid if I become a Christian, I'll do something wrong. So they somehow get the idea, well, I'll accept the Lord when I'm on my deathbed. That way I can't do a whole lot of things wrong in the last few minutes I got left alive. No, that's not the way it works at all. And I believe, as we spoke earlier, why is this story of Peter denying the Lord and then the Lord restoring him and then telling him to feed his lambs? Well, I believe it's because this is the heart and the nature of God, is God's restorative hand. In other words, it isn't that we've done something wrong and God leaves us that way, that God says, okay, here, now let me get you straightened out here. Let's keep going. Thanks for joining us on It's Time. 
as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.